Good morning. My name is Steve Blummer. I'm the pastor of Family Adults here at Hope Chapel. Uh, pastor Neil and Christina are in Rwanda with a team there. They told me it's 80 degrees there. And the pastors are wearing coats because it's cold for them. Uh, pastor Ken and his family are on vacation down in Myrtle Beach. We could feel sorry for him. It's, it's 25 degrees down there, and all the candidates are down there candidating. That's not a vacation. And we also want to pray for those who are on Quest teams who are in uh, Scotland, they're in Dominican Republic, and they're in Uganda. So we want to keep praying for those as well. I do realize that today is Valentine's Day, but today's message will not be on the topic of love. For some of you, that's relief, because you see Valentine's Day is Single Awareness Day. Uh, someone told me it's not Single Awareness Day, it's Single Appreciation Day. It could be your last day as a single, and then when you get married, you understand that you should appreciate it. Oh, well. Some of you also know that uh, today is the day where money can buy you love. You didn't spend any money, so you're not getting any love, right? So, but we're not going to talk about love today necessarily, but we are going to talk about relationships and specifically about friendships. If you're looking for some sermons about love, last month Pastor Neil preached a series called Can You Feel It?, which was the love of God. He also preached a series leading up to Easter last year called Recovering Redemption, which is about what love with God. Both those series are great, so I encourage you to go to the website and listen to those if you're looking for some love today. Um, But we're going to be talking about uh, friendships in particular because friendships are very important in life, and uh, sometimes they're not easy to find. Someone said that you can often find who your real friends are when you go through tough times. And considering I'm in the middle of teaching through a grief class in our Sunday morning Bible classes, I've kind of thought I'd merge the two topics together, grief and friendship. More specifically, friendship amidst grief. How can we find some really good friends when we're grieving, and what kind of friends should we be when, uh, with those who are grieving? Uh, not all of you will take that class, and uh, I understand that. For some of you, you're hesitant on taking a class about grief because you don't want all these emotions to come up. You've worked really hard on packing them down, and you like to kind of leave them where they are. Uh, for some of you, you don't want to go through a 12-week course about grief. Uh, you're kind of managing grief well, and that's kind of how the world does, like letting time go on. Uh, some of you may not think that that class is really for you because you haven't lost a loved one. But the truth is that grief happens for many different reasons and for many different uh, depths in your life. Uh, most of the time, we don't equate grief with our situation because we feel like there hasn't been a loss. But the truth is that grief can come in the loss Uh, through even a living relationship, such as through a divorce or if your parents divorce or when you break up with a boyfriend or girlfriend, that all impacts you. Uh, Grief can come in the loss of a future hope and dream, such like if you lose your job or you develop an illness or a disability. Um, And I believe that grief really happens anytime our lives take a change. Anytime our lives take a change. Just think about it. The way you lived your life and the way you knew how to live your life suddenly changed. Maybe you weren't anticipating it. Maybe you were anticipating it, but your life took a change. The life that you once lived and how you were used to it is no longer that way you're living it. You've lost that type of life. You have to get used to this new type of normal living. You know, for our family, on October 21st, 2014, we brought in two more kids. Our life changed. 
our time structure changed, our financial ability uh, changed, uh, our ability to kind of connect with our kids and give them the time, that all changed. As parents, our lives changed. For the two kids that we had, their lives changed. They had to go from having their own rooms to sharing a room. Um, That was grief. And then we had the two kids that came into our home. Their lives completely changed. So uh, they all experienced grief in in different ways. And so that's why I think it's important for us to recognize these moments, even when we're young, to understand, uh, to recognize these perhaps as grief. And and then it helps us to know what to do with this. It helps us to develop a pattern in our life where we can deal with things emotionally and spiritually, no matter the circumstance in our life. And that's why I think it's important for us to keep, keep Kids Connect and Alpha Omega Youth, an important part of Hope Chapel. And, and as you sacrifice your time to be in Kids Connect or, or youth ministry on Sunday, Monday, or Wednesday, or whenever it is, not only are you pouring your life out to them, but I think that you'll be really surprised about the benefit that you'll receive in return. Because all of a sudden, as you're teaching these kids about how to live life, you suddenly realize, I need to apply that in my own life. And so you're trying to teach them how to live life, and they're teaching you on how to live life too. So today's message, we're going to be in a few different places in the Bible. I encourage you to use your bulletin and take some notes on the back of that. We're going to spend a a few moments talking about some myths about grief. I'm going to kind of try to bust those myths, and then we're going to talk about what it takes to be a good friend during those who are grieving. Uh, The first myth that I like to bust is this idea that time heals all wounds. Time heals all wounds. That's a myth. You know, it's true that over time, your grief will weaken its hold on you. You'll be able to escape the siege that it has on your life. You'll be able to get back to some daily thoughts and routines. There's going to come a time where you feel like you can, you can function and you can process information better. There'll come a time where you can go through your entire day and you haven't been dwelling on your loss. Believe it or not, that time will come. We often wish that that can happen in a week or even a month or sometime, somehow it fits within our schedule. But the truth is, they say uh, that it could take up to three years for you to be really almost comfortable in this new normal way of living. And even at that, the truth is that we will never be able to have that grief go completely away. I want you to check out a story in Genesis. If you're using one of the Bibles in front of you, this is on page 37. I encourage you to check out Genesis chapter 42. Genesis 42. We're going to be starting in verse 29. To give you a little bit of background of what's going on, this is the story of Joseph. Joseph was one of the 12 brothers of Jacob. 12 brothers of Jacob. He was one of the younger sons, and uh, he was really Jacob's favorite. And the reason, one of the reasons he was Jacob's favorite is because he was born from Rachel, the love of his life. Um, the youngest brother, Benjamin, was born of Rachel, but the other brothers were born from Rachel's sister, Leah. That's a pretty interesting story in the Bible. And uh, not only were some born of Leah, but some were born from Rachel's maidservant or Leah's maidservant. There was this like competition between the sisters of who could provide more offspring for Jacob. Not exactly the biblical family that you would think that God would choose to raise up a nation that would call his name, but he does. Well, Joseph, being a young guy that he was, um, he often was a tattletale. He told on his brothers. He got them into trouble. They didn't quite like him for that. Uh, He boasted about being the favorite son. 
They didn't like him for that. And uh, he even one day revealed that he had a dream that one day his brothers would bow down to him. They really didn't like that one. So one day they decided they were going to throw him in a pit. They threw him in a pit. They weren't sure what to do with him. I'm sure they thought if, they, if we take him out of the pit, he's just going to go tell dad and we're going to get in more trouble. So some of the brothers were like, just, just kill him then. And the bro- one of the brothers in particular was like, no, 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 let's not kill him. That's really bad. Um, so they eventually sold him into slavery. They told their father that he was killed by a wild animal, but they spared his life. They sold him into slavery into Egypt. God, through his provision, had him go from uh, being a slave to a very well-respected servant. But he ended up going to jail because his boss's wife made a move on him and wanted him to sleep with him, and he's like, no, I don't do that. And so she said, oh, he made an advance at me, and so his boss threw him into jail. While he was in jail, God worked his way through that, and eventually Joseph made his way to being the second greatest position in all of Egypt. Later in years, a drought had come in the entire region, and people were going to Egypt because they had food stored up. This was through God's revelation, the wisdom and planning of Joseph, and and why he's in that position. Um, So his brothers ended up going into Egypt to buy food. Joseph recognizes his brothers. His brothers don't recognize Joseph. And one brother did not come, and that was Benjamin. So Joseph devises a scheme to get his full biological brother to him in Egypt. He holds one of the brothers hostage while the other brothers go back and get Benjamin to return. And that's kind of where we're at in this story. Genesis 42, verse 29. When they reached their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them. The man who is the Lord of the country spoke harshly to us and accused us of spying on the country. But we told him, we are honest men and not spies. We were 12 brothers, sons of the same father, one who is no longer living. And the youngest is now with our father in the land of Canaan. The man who is the Lord of the country said to us, this is how I will know if you are honest men. Leave one brother with me. Take food to relieve the hunger of your households and go. Bring back your younger brother to me, and I will know that you are not spies but honest men. I will then give your brother back to you, and you can trade in the country. As they began emptying their sacks, there in each man's sack was his bag of money. So Joseph had given back the money that they were using to buy food, but they didn't know it was Joseph. They thought this was a big trap. When they and their father saw the bags of money, they were afraid. Their father Jacob said to them, You have deprived me of my sons. Joseph is gone and Simeon is gone. Now you want to take Benjamin? Everything happens to me. Then Reuben said to his father, You could kill my two sons if I don't bring him back to you. Put him in my care and I will return him to you. But Jacob answered, My son will not go down with you. For your brother is dead and he alone is is left. If anything happens to him on your journey, you will bring my gray hairs down to Sheol or the grave in sorrow. Joseph cries out in this moment, everything happens to me. Everything is against me. Why does everything bad happen to me? Woe is me. It was in this moment that all of his grief from the past of losing Joseph just came flooding on him, this crashing wave. 
you can see how this just kind of brought up all of this grief about Joseph. He kind of says some untrue and exaggerated statements. He says, his brother is dead and he alone is left. I mean, Joseph's in Egypt, Simeon's in Egypt, but there's nine other brothers standing right there. And he's saying, Benjamin is the only one left. He is grieving. He is grieving the loss of Joseph, even though it was years and years ago. Time does not heal all wounds. We shouldn't expect it, nor should we necessarily want it to. You know, the brothers, they testified that this had happened in their life. They said, we were 12 brothers, son of the same father. One is no longer living. The brothers kept it a part of their story. What we like grief to be is like a wound that we put a Band-Aid on, and one day we take the Band-Aid off, oh, it's gone. But grief is not like that. Grief is a part of our story. Along the way, our plot of the story may change. The characters in our story may change. But it's part of our story. And those characters in the story were part of creating the character that we are today. So it's healthy to to talk about our grief no matter how long ago it was. It's not really healthy when we try to pretend that it never happened. So time does not heal all wounds. A myth buster number two. Grieving is a sign of weakness. Grieving is a sign of weakness. That's a myth. Now, we don't really say this out loud, and I don't think we really go to someone and say, well, you're being really weak in your time of grief. Why don't you man up? We don't want to say that, but we say that to ourselves. We tell ourselves, stop crying. We tell ourselves, on, we need to get on with life. We somehow expect that we need to have everything all put together. You know, we rarely want to admit that we have days where we're a complete disaster. We're a mess. We don't want to admit that we're out of control. We don't want to admit that we could use some help. Grieving is not a sign of weakness. It's perfectly a normal reaction. I want you to turn with me to Job chapter 4. Job. This is on page uh, 426 in the Bibles in the chairs in front of you. Job chapter 4. The book of Job is a great book to begin a little bit of understanding of this idea of suffering and the sovereignty of God. It's a great book to kind of wrestle with some of these ideas. But here we have Job. And in chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Job, he was a man of perfect integrity who feared God and turned away from evil. Job was a righteous man. He had this wonderful relationship with God. And God was blessing him. He gave him this family. He gave him this great business. But it was through some swift events that Satan was allowed to take it all away. His business crashed. His family was killed. And he even developed these health issues where he had these boils all over his body during his time of mourning. It was only him and his wife that were still alive. And we see his wife in a moment of grief just turn to Job and say, curse God and die. Now, we shouldn't think that Job's wife was a woman who didn't have faith. We shouldn't look at Job's wife and say she was weak. We shouldn't look at her that she wasn't a righteous woman. We should see her that she's a woman who lost all that too, and she is grieving. You know, when you lose a child, they say that it often tears spouses apart. 
And we can see here that they are, are both grieving. They're grieving on their own. They're grieving, trying to grieve together. And she's not only just upset about the situation, but she's, she's mad at Job. She's mad at God, and she just lets it all out. Well, Job here is grieving, and some of his friends show up. And one of the friends speak in chapter 4. Eliphaz, the Tamanite, verse 2 in chapter 4 says, Should anyone try to speak with you when you are exhausted? I know you're grieving and we shouldn't say anything, but uh, who can keep from speaking? I've got to say something. Look, you have instructed many and have strengthened weak hands. Your words have steadied the one who was stumbling and braced the knees that were buckling. But now that this has happened to you, you have become exhausted. It strikes you and you are dismayed. Isn't your piety, your confidence, and the integrity of your life, your hope? His friends saying, Job, look at you. You're a righteous man. You have this great relationship with God. What's the matter with you? Why are you so weak? Why are you so dismayed? Why are you so exhausted? I can't believe this from you. You're the one who always shares wisdom and encouraging words. Why are you so knocked over with this situation? That's because it doesn't matter the level of your faith when grief hits you. It doesn't matter if you have strong faith in God. It doesn't matter if you have weak faith in God. Grief affects everybody. So it doesn't matter what your relationship with God is. It doesn't matter the strength of your faith. Grief is not a sign of weakness. It's a normal reaction. Now, Job, who is this righteous man, he speaks up. Him and his friends kind of go back and forth through the whole entire book. And in the midst of his grief, Job says some things like this. I prefer strangling death rather than life in this body. I give up. I will not live forever. Leave me alone. He cries out to God and said, God, why did you bring me out of this womb? I should have died and never been seen. I wish I had never existed. Leave me alone so that I can smile a little before I go to the land of darkness and gloom, never to return. That's Job, the righteous man who had a great relationship with God. He's crying out. That's Job through grief. Grief is not a sign of weakness. Job experienced some very dark days of grief. God does eventually show up and speak to Job. Some of his messages to kind of challenge Job in understanding that God is in control. But God never rebukes Job for his words. He never rebukes Job for what he says. In fact, he says in Job 42 that what Job has said is truth. And the things that the friends say are false. In fact, he would accept the prayers of Job on behalf of his friends because his friends did not speak truth. Now, as you read through the entire book of Job, there are some things that the friends say that you're like, that's pretty good stuff. And then Job says some stuff, and you're like, whoa, you crossed the line, man. I don't know. That's not truth. So you can understand that what God is saying is, I understand grief. I understand what Job is going through. The friends, they didn't understand. 
Even though they were speaking truth, it was false because they didn't understand what Job was going through. What the friends really needed to do was to keep their mouth shut. Just be quiet. Just be there and be quiet. Grieving is an expected thing. It's, it's normal. It, it's not a sign of weakness. And his friends needed to understand that. So what kind of friends do we need in our life when we're grieving? What kind of friends do we need to be to those that are grieving? Well, obviously, we don't want to be like the friends of Job. We want to be those people that learn how to keep our mouths shut. And that's hard to do. We want to give an encouraging word, or sometimes we want to share the spiritual truth with them because maybe we don't know what else to do. Maybe we want those people to understand that we care for them. We don't like to see our friends suffer. We want to help them get past, past that as fast as they want to get past it. So we just we begin to talk. And there's going to come a time and place where you need to speak truth into someone's life, and they may be even asking the questions right at those moments. Why? Why, why does this happen? But they're not ready to receive the why, even if you can come up with a great and biblical answer. What we need is friends that can simply watch and pray. Watch and pray. I want you to take a look at an example with me in Mark chapter 14. Mark 14. This is on page 861 in the Bibles you're using in the chairs. Uh, This was Jesus right before he was captured and crucified on the cross. Uh, He had just finished eating the Last Supper, the Passover meal with his disciples. They had left there, and they were entering into uh, the garden for prayer. So Mark chapter 14, verse 32. Then they came to a place named Gethsemane, and he told his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and horrified. He said to them, My soul is swallowed up in sorrow to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake. Then he went a little further, fell to the ground, and began to pray that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Then he came and found them sleeping. Simon, are you sleeping? He asked Peter. Couldn't you stay awake one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once again, he went away and prayed, saying the same thing. And he came again and found them sleeping, because they could not keep their eyes open. They did not know what to say to him. Then he came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The time has come. Look, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let's go. See, my betrayer is near. Jesus was about ready to be captured and crucified on the cross. He knew that it was going to happen. He was God, after all. He knew that it was going to happen. But just because he knew that it was going to happen, he could not escape the deep sorrow that this was causing him. Even if somehow you have prepared for your grief, you cannot escape the grief. 
it will still impact you. Jesus said his soul was swallowed up in sorrow. He fell on his face in the ground in agony and just cried out to his Father in heaven. We would not say that Jesus is weak in his faith. Jesus was feeling the normal reactions of greed because he was about ready to take the sins of the world on himself on the cross. So what's Jesus do? He calls his closest friends and he says, come, pray and watch. Pray and watch. We need friends who are willing just to simply pray and watch when we are grieving. We need to be friends that all we do is we pray and watch while they are grieving. You know, praying means that we actually pray for them. We just simply pray for them. Peter, James, and John, they were asked to pray. and They didn't do a very good job in this situation. Maybe they didn't recognize the seriousness of the situation. Maybe they didn't recognize how much agony Jesus was in. You know, with their lips, they would say, our thoughts and prayers with you. If you need anything, just let me know. Jesus, he's not looking for someone to do anything. He's looking for someone that's willing to pray and to watch. How many of you have someone in your life that you know that you can ask to pray and to watch over you during your times of grief? I know that there are people in my life. Some of them came from my previous life group. Some of them are in my life group right now. Some some of them are relationships that I've built here in Hope Chapel. I know that if I need prayer, I can go to them and say, I need you to pray for me. And the reason I know that they would pray for me is because they prayed for me in the past. And the reason I know that they prayed for me in the past is because they come to me and they said, how are you doing? What's going on? What's new? They're doing that watching part. They're watching out. Watching means being aware of the development of the situation. You know, Jesus wanted Peter, James, and, and John to, to pay attention to what's going on, to go, what's going on around them. You know, if they hadn't fallen asleep, they would have recognized what Jesus was going through, and then they could have prayed for him. But instead, they, they fell asleep. He wanted them to be observant, not only on Jesus and not only on the situation, but even on themselves. He says, I don't want you to fall into temptation. The temptation here could simply be to be able to do the right thing when your time comes. You know, as they're watching and praying for Jesus, Jesus prays, God, I want you to be able to take this away, but I'm willing to be obedient even to death on the cross. And so as they would be watching and praying for Jesus, perhaps there would come a time for them where they would be challenged to do the right thing, to say, God, I don't like this, but if it's your will, I'm willing to go through it. You know, as you are praying and watching for somebody else, you begin to notice some areas in your own life where you could be tempted. Let's say you're praying for a married couple who's kind of going through some rough times. As you're praying and watching for them, you begin to notice stuff in your own marriage that says, ah, I need to pay attention to that. I need to pray about that. Maybe you're going with someone who's struggling with an addiction, and you say, you know what? There's things in my life that I need to be careful, these bad habits that I'm developing. There's this temptation that we need to be aware of, and we only recognize those things as we're praying and watching for somebody else. So to be a good friend in the midst of grief, I say you got to keep your mouth shut and you got to pray and watch. And we need to allow friends to pray and watch in our lives. And that's a tough one 
Because we often brush people off in the midst of our grief. We tell people, no, 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 we're fine. We don't want to bother people with our problems. They got enough problems on their own. But God didn't design us to do this thing alone. I mean, Jesus had his 12 disciples. And even within those 12 disciples, he had these three close friends, Peter, James, and John. And then even at that, there's one that's called the one whom Jesus loved. That was John. That was like his best friend. And so we're not going to probably find a lot of people that can share all of our struggles, but can we find one or three that we can really say, I need you to come and pray and watch? There's a story in the Old Testament. We're not going to get into it this morning, but it's about Elijah. Elijah was this great prophet of God. God used Elijah in miraculous ways. He had this mountaintop experience where uh, God sent fire down to prove that he was the true God. It was an amazing mountaintop moment for Elijah. He had been praying that, you know, there was going to be a drought in the land and it didn't rain. And then he began to pray that it would rain. And these clouds started to form and raindrops came. The Spirit of God was on Elijah. And it says that Elijah ran to the queen of the empire, passing chariots. Imagine that. You're running faster than chariots. The Spirit of God was on him. He gets to the queen and she says, I don't like you. I'm going to make sure you get killed. And for some reason, in that moment, he became afraid. And it says in 1 Kings 19, starting in verse 2, Then Elijah became afraid and immediately ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba that belonged to Judah, he left his servant there, but he went on a day's journey into the wilderness. Notice that. He immediately, he was afraid, he ran for his life. He left his servant behind and went on into the journey, into the wilderness. He sat down underneath a broom tree and prayed that he might die. He said, I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. Elijah knew what he was doing. He knew he was going to be heading into the wilderness, and he wanted to be alone. Now, I'm not saying that there's times where we don't need to be alone. But we need to be careful that we just don't leave everybody behind. Thankfully, an angel of God shows up to Elijah. But all the angel's job was is to say, Elijah, hey, get up. Here, have something to eat. Elijah would eat, and then he would go back to rest. And the angel would just wake him up later. Elijah, wake up. Here, take something to eat. The journey ahead is long. Get your rest Get something to eat. That's sometimes all we need. We need someone there to help us get through the basic things in life. And that's why meals are so important for those who have transitions in their life. We, we go and we provide the meals so they don't have to think about food. They can just eat and rest and try to get some strength because the journey ahead is long. Well, that's what's being a good friend in the midst of grief. And those are the type of friends that we need to have in our life. So, Who in your life can you really call upon and say, I need you to pray and watch? Some of you may be thinking right now, I have no idea. I really don't have anybody in my life that I can call on and that I know that they would pray and watch. Nobody. So what do you do? How do you do that? Well, a friend shows himself friendly. You've got to start being friendly if you want to find a friend. And that's tough. That's intimidating. 
that's tough to kind of put yourself out there and build relationships. It gets a little messy. You could go to someone and say, hey, let's be friends. And they're like, eh, you're not really my type. You know, so it can hurt. Try to build relationships with friends and then, or they move away. Things happen. You got to build friendships all the time, but you got to do it. It's so worth it. Maybe you got to start with someone that's sitting next to you or start in your Bible study or start in your life group. Just find somebody and know that not everyone is going to be your best friend. It's just not going to work out that way. But maybe you can find just one that can really be there for you and you can be there for them. Maybe you're thinking right now that, you know what, someone asked me to be that type of friend, to pray for them. And I really let the ball drop. And so maybe this is the time where you, you get a hold of that person and say, you know what, you told me to pray and I, and I didn't, and I'm sorry for that. Grief is a natural occurrence that will happen to everybody, and sometimes it falls on us really hard, and it really hurts. And in order to get through grief, we need more than a box of chocolates that someone gave us for Valentine's. We need to find someone that's willing to eat them with us. That's what a friend does. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that in here is stories of people who are grieving, people who have this great relationship with you that didn't have it all together. We thank you that you show us that we don't have to have it all together, that grief is not a sign of weakness, that time will not just heal all of our wounds, the importance of friendships in our lives and the importance of us being a good friend to those who are grieved. Help us to find those friends that are simply just there to pray and to watch and help us to be that kind of friend that would be willing to stick through someone through the journey of praying and watching during their time of grief. God, we thank you that you always hear us. You always um, hear our prayers and answer our prayers. God, you have not fallen asleep. We thank you that you are always there for us, keeping watch over us, providing for us, in Jesus' name, amen. At this time, we're going to take the Lord's Supper, the communion. Those who are prepared to distribute, you can go ahead and get in your places. Uh, we'll just spend in Mark, since we're in Mark. Uh, the Lord's Supper is a time where Jesus was with his disciples in the upper room, and they were having the, the Passover meal, and he said, do this in remembrance of me. He knew what he was about ready to do was about ready to be sacrificed on the cross for the sins of the world. And so as we partake of the elements, we're saying, I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. And Paul says that when you partake it, not only are you believing that Jesus has done that, but you're proclaiming to the world that you believe that you have, that you have accepted that gift. And so if you have accepted the gift of salvation, this is where the time where you could proclaim to the world that you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. For some of you who are not able to partake of the elements, I say that today is your opportunity to know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, to understand that you can't take care of this sin on your own. That's why Jesus had to die. And now is the opportunity for you to say, God, I know that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I know that I can't take care of my sin myself. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin. 
I freely accept the gift of salvation that you were offering to me. God, I accept what you have done for me. You have that opportunity. I pray that during this moment, as they begin to pass out the elements and the music will play, that you just take the opportunity to, to pray and talk with God, maybe about some things in your life that has been bothering you. Now's the opportunity to talk to him about it. Maybe to examine yourself, whether you truly are one of the faith. So I encourage that they can come. Music will begin. chapter 14. As they were eating, he took bread, blessed and broke it, gave it to them and said, take eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to them. So they all drank from it and he said to them, this is my blood that establishes the covenant. It is shed for many. We have done as God has commanded. I encourage you to stand as the worship team comes and the offering will be passed around. It was a simple message in the sense that it didn't have a lot of complicated parts, but it's very hard to put into practice. 
So uh, we're out a little early, so I challenge you to put it into practice right now and start making some friends, hang out in the lobby. And um, at least the first service, I told them that if they didn't find any friends, they had to come back to the second service. So <laughs> you guys are free to go. So uh, I'm just going to close this in prayer, and then I'll meet you in the lobby. God, we thank you that you would have allowed us to come here and to worship you. God, we thank you that we are uh, not worshiping alone. We can join in other believers and just share life with one another. God, make us just just proud to know you and and proud just, just to have friends around us. God, help us to be that kind of friend that we need to be for others. We, we ask for your help to help us to, to apply these things. And it's in your son's name, Jesus. Amen.